So here's why we're doing a DNA series. And I kind of mentioned this last week. We have to have clarity and we have to have alignment about the essentials of this church. And at the end of this series, which is just uh, one more week, um, I really want every person who's been here to know what this place stands for, to know what the essentials are, to know what hills will die on. And here's why. Because some of you, you don't really want to be here. And what I want to do is, is I want to make it as plain as possible. Here's who we are. So that at the end of these weeks, you have the ability to go, you know what? You guys spent three weeks telling, uh, telling me what the DNA of E3 is. And I'm not sure that that's a DNA that, I'm, that I want to be about. And you are free to uh, exercise your right of self-selection. And, and go pursue God somewhere else. But if we get to the end of these three weeks and you have heard and you understand what our DNA is, my goal, my thought, my prayer, my vision, my hope is that you're like, you know what? I know what the DNA is. And then you would simply say this, how can I help? Because I don't know if this is a wake up call or kind of a, 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 you know, a big wow moment for anybody. But the people of God are not about a few staff members who do all the work and just kind of present things to you guys. The people of God are about the people of God doing the work of God together. And so once we get this DNA rolled out, how can I help? That's my hope. That's my vision. So last, uh, last week, we started with just the basics. Uh, as Lindsay said, our mission, some of our dreams, some of the, the values, which are just the hows of how we do our business and so uh, what she said is, listen, the mission of E3 is simply this. We make, we are called to make disciples or followers or learners of, of Jesus. People who would just say, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's what we do. We see everything through that filter. If it doesn't make a follower of Jesus, we're probably not interested. And then Lindsay said, part of the how of how we do that is we go a step further and we say, we have to have a strategy for doing that. Our strategy is, you know, we worship together. We gather in small groups and we serve. Because the best we could tell when people do those things with open hearts, God transforms lives. And then last, uh, last week, we also rolled out these, these beliefs, these values uh, of how we do our work together. They're guidelines, they're rules. We said, we believe in design because we believe God is a God of design. And so if we're gonna have you guys gather, we wanna design the gathering in such a way that it gets a, a, a result out of it if we can. If we, if we call you to engage in a process, we want that process to be clear. We believe in making room for people. We believe in saying like, look, you may come in here and you, I may be at a different place in my spiritual journey than you. I want to make room for you to be here. Because not everybody's like me. We're not at the same point in our life and in our, in our spiritual growth. We believe in authenticity because masks don't do anybody any good. So we want to take off our masks to each other. We believe in humility, both as an organization and individually. Pride does not do anybody any favors. So we believe as an organization, we should have a posture of humility toward what God's doing in the world and even other churches and learn we believe in something I just thought called grace first. Grace is a, is a powerful word in the Bible. It means unmerited favor. So here's what grace first means. Grace first means that I'll believe the best about you before I'll believe the worst about you. 
It believes that I will believe and have a posture towards you of unmerited favor. And if somebody comes into my ear talking something that does not reflect unmerited favor, I will say, that's gossip. I will not tolerate it. I will believe the best about you. I believe, uh, we believe in trust. We believe in trusting each other. Like we'll trust growth group leaders to steward and pastor small groups of people. It's not about like my control or the staff's control. And we believe in growth. We believe in growth because, listen, none of us came out of the womb all that. But growth and the, and the potential for transformation is given to every human being. And it's not where you start. It's where you finish. And so we believe that those are the values and the guidelines of which we're, how we're going to do our business. But there's a deeper how. That, those last two things, how strategy, how values, but there's a deeper how to being the people of God. Because listen, we're not a social club. We're not a fraternity or a sorority. We are a spiritual community. And so we have to do more than just have good strategy. We have to have more than good values. I believe that if we're a spiritual community, we have to have spiritual tools. And so today we're going to talk about the spiritual how, how God's people are going to do uh, their work. And the how is contained in that text that uh, we heard this morning that Austin read. And I'm going to read the, the, the few verses where the how is contained. So it, it starts in verse 4. Uh, again, Jesus is eating with his followers, the apostles, the disciples. While they're eating together, he said, Jesus ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to what? Wait for what the, what the Father had promised. And he said, this is what you heard from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, look, you are my apostles. That means messengers. But before you can get on messaging, you have to wait. Because something needs to happen before you go get your message on. And he says, the Father promised something called the Holy Spirit. Okay? So he goes on. As a result, those who gathered together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And we mentioned this last week, but, but that's the disciples basically saying, Jesus, do we get to sit here and finish the meal and you'll just go do everything? And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the way this works. He says, uh, it's not for you to know the times or the season that the Father has set by his own authority. That's Jesus saying, like, look, God knows when everything's going to be fixed. But Jesus says, no, actually, rather, you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the how, the how for the people of God, from the disciples, from these first folks to us, the how is the Holy Spirit. And some of you guys, like, you're just like, show me the door right now, because if we're talking Holy Spirit stuff, that's go it's going to get crazy. You're going to get snakes handling. No, it's not going to be like that. The Holy Spirit is the thing that the people of God need to wait for. It's the how of, of, of how we will go about accomplishing our mission. It's not just good strategy. It's not just good values. There is a spiritual component to following God, and it's the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to talk to you guys today about how. How do you follow the Holy Spirit? 
And, and, and what we're going to do is going to get real basic. So Because some of you guys are like, holy who? I'm going to tell you, we're going to start with just like who the Spirit is and, and what the role of the Spirit is. And so I'll, I'll start this way. Um, uh, first of all, the Spirit is a, is a who, not a what. It's a who, not a what. It's not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. As Christians, uh, we believe that our God is simultaneously one entity, but he has three different expressions. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit's not a thing. It's not an it. It's a who. Now, I, I love this. In the Bible, the Spirit is sometimes referred to in the masculine, sometimes referred to in the feminine. You could refer to the Spirit as a she. That's okay. The Spirit is a who, not not a what, okay? Um, so the second thing about the Spirit, uh, the Spirit exists in the Hebrew Scriptures or what we would call the Old Testament or the First Testament in the Bible. The Spirit does not just appear in the New Testament. It doesn't just appear in Acts 1. The Spirit is present in Genesis. The text says the Spirit of God is hovering across over the waters. The Spirit is there in Exodus when a guy named Moses, he, he's called to build uh, an, 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 a, ta- a, a container for the physical Ten Commandments. And the Scriptures say that the Spirit of God came to two craftsmen that allowed them to do all the work. And they also build this big tent that, that God's presence resides in. The, the, the Spirit is present in the Psalms. You could see this, the Spirit referred to. The Spirit is referred to in Proverbs. So the Spirit of God has a long history. In the New Testament, the Spirit takes on a a more central role. So the Spirit appears. Jesus talks about the Spirit in the Gospel of Luke, this good news story written by a guy named Luke. The Spirit is referred to in the Gospel of John. The Spirit is referred to in the book of Acts, which is what we're looking at today. And also in uh, the rest of the uh, New Testament, most of it is, is letters to churches. And in all through those things in the New Testament, the Spirit has uh, different functions that are hinted at. So you'll see the Spirit referred to as like, look, the Spirit is your guide. The Spirit's your counselor, almost like a lawyer. The Spirit uh, is your advocate. A guy named Paul talks about the Spirit as like, the Spirit is is the guy or the girl that you follow as you're going through life. Where the Spirit leads, you go. In the Gospel of John, uh, we're told that Jesus breathes the Spirit into his disciples. And here we are in the book of Acts, and Jesus is like, look, you got to wait. The Spirit's going to come, and you're going to get some power, and then you're going to go be my witnesses. So uh, those are the basics of the Spirit. And what I want to talk about now is, is, is a way that I came to understand the Spirit and the way that I came to understand what I see and what I hope for this church in regards to the Spirit. And, I, and I'm going to use a metaphor. Uh, I, I came across this movie a while ago, and I actually watched it this week. Uh, the movie is called Don't Think Twice. Anybody ever heard of this movie? Uh, it's about improv, improvisational theater. And it's a great, sweet little movie like, um, about this uh, improv troupe and kind of some things that they go through. And I don't know how much you guys know about improv uh, theater, but literally it's a group of people who come up on stage with no script, no lines, no idea of what they're going to do or what's going to happen. And then in uh, in the movie's case, they, they, they start off by saying, who has had a really bad day and say what it was? And that's how they start their theater. 
And then none of it is scripted. It's all made up. Another sort of example is, um, you know, I was a professional musician for a long time, and I played uh, a fair amount of improvisational music. Anybody fans of The Grateful Dead? Go ahead. You can. It's okay. Like, I'm not getting mad. Like, yes. So, uh, Grateful Dead, uh, amazingly spontaneous improvisational band. Right? I played a lot of music in that vein where there was no script of some point. You were just kind of like listening and reacting to what was going on. Jazz as an art form. Jazz, the essence of jazz is improv. You're listening to what's being created in the moment. So I don't know if you guys know this, but even though improv theater and improv music, even though there's no plan, it is not utterly chaotic. So like if you have guys who are creating some music improvisationally, there are rules. No, you can't just play in your own key. For theater, there's actually simple rules to improv theater. And when I heard these rules, it really struck me as how we follow the spirit. And I'll unpack this a little bit. So the rules of improvisation are simply this. Say yes, it's all about the group. And don't think twice. Say yes. It's not about you. It's all about the group. And don't think twice. So what I want to do is, is uh, use this as a framework to talk about how the disciples do this. And therefore, uh, just kind of a spoiler alert. We're still doing this. This challenge to follow the Spirit is the same for us as it was in Acts 1. So first, uh, first rule, uh, say yes. Specifically, the rule is say yes and. Yes and. So what this means is that you have to agree with the reality that your partner creates and then build on it and repeat. So in other words, uh, somebody in the, the theater would say, what was your bad day? And they say, oh, you know, I missed the bus. And then the person in the troop says, they just start off reacting to that. As a member of the improv group, you can never say to another improv person, that was a bad idea. Come up with a different line. You have to say, yes, I accept that reality. And then that little word, and, is critical. Because a lot of people go, yes, but. But it has to be, yes, I accept it. And I will tell you something in addition to it. That's the simple first rule of improv. You accept a reality, and then you build on it. Now, in our metaphor, I'm going to tell you, our partner is God. Our partner is God. We accept the reality that God has created in a given moment. We react to it, and we build on it. And we go, and some of you guys are, oh, yes, amen, that's, that's, that's easy, Eric. But I don't think it is, because I hang out with a lot of you guys. And actually, you would say, no, it's a yes, but. I see the reality that you've given me, God, but I don't like it. <laughs> and following the Spirit, I want to say, just starts with the ability to say, look, I accept this reality, and now I will start to react to it. And then guess what? God will create a new reality, and you will start doing this dance together with God. Now, uh, I want to I kind of highlight this because uh, in the same way that there's rules to improv, um, it is not entirely random what happens in Acts 1, and it's not entirely random like how God's people follow the Spirit. It is in the framework of a particular story. 
And this impacts, I want to say, like how you follow the Spirit. Because a lot of us, listen, I've talked to people and, and they've, they've said to me, sometimes the equivalent of, look, I feel like the Holy Spirit telling me to go to China first and hit that buffet line six times. And I'm like, I don't think so, bro. Because there's something about the story that you're living in that informs how you understand the Spirit working. And so I'm going to give you the story that the disciples are living in and the story that we're still living in. And the story starts with the reality that God creates everything. Genesis 1, God creates this world. He creates humanity. Second stage of the story, humanity rebels. We kind of reject what God has given us. Third stage of the story, God says, you know what? I'm going to make things right. He finds a guy named Abram and he says, Abram, through your family, I'm going to fix the world. I'm going to rescue the world. I'm going to restore the world. That's the Jewish people. Fast forward a few generations, Abram's family ends up uh, enslaved in Egypt. God rescues them. Why? Because they are the rescue project. They are the restoration project. And, and through them, everything's going to get fixed. So God rescues them from slavery. Then God takes them through the desert. They end up at Mount Sinai. God gives them the Ten Commandments, the Torah, the law, the instruction, which is simply this, how to live in response to a gracious God. We're going to talk about that this fall. The commandments are not meant to be like joy buzz killers. The commandments are meant to show people how you live in response to a God that frees you from slavery. But this is where it gets interesting for us. So that you can continue the rescue project in the world. So, you see, uh, a lot of us think that our response to God's goodness is like we get to, we get to sit in the comfy seats. Oh, we're like, yes, I'm saved. And listen, for a slave, that's the reality. That's good news. Slaves don't get to sit in comfy seats. But the reality of the story is God says, look, I didn't save you so you could sit in the comfy seats. I saved you because there's a restoration project that's underway. At E3, when I, when I came here, moved here from Chicago, we didn't have offices. We met uh, in the coffee shop over a, a Mayhem, the part, of the, the part of the church was just a coffee shop. And I'm like, where do you guys work? And they're like, well, we just hang out here or we go to you know, coffee shops and we do our work. And I'm like, where's the desks? And they're like, oh, we don't have desks. And I'm like, I can't work that way. So sooner or later, I scrounged together some office furniture and I finally got myself like a, a, a comfy seat and I, I still have a nice chair like down in my little office down there and it's nice. But you know what? We lost something a little bit when we got comfy chairs because before we had comfy chairs, we were always out. We were out in Tallahassee. We were out. And God didn't call the people of God to sit in comfy chairs. He called us to continue the restoration project. But God's people, even the Jewish people, they started to think that, look, God saved us and he freed us so that we can just have a seat. And God's like, no, 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 no. There's more places to go. And, and in fact, you see this in the Old Testament. Uh, I, I love this little line out of uh, Isaiah. 
a, a prophet named Isaiah. And he writes this, God's speaking through the prophet. God says, listen, it's not enough. I love this. It's not enough since you are my servant to just raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the survivors of Israel. God's saying, look, it's not enough to just that I save Abram's family. He says, listen, I will also appoint you, Abram's family, as a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That sound a little bit like Acts, what we just read. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and what? The whole world. God says here, listen, my salvation is going to reach the ends of the earth. It ain't about the comfy chairs. You can't sit down in the comfy chairs. God's got a whole earth agenda. And that's what his people are called to. So saying uh, yes and really means like just being willing to accept the reality that comes in front of you and going, okay, it's not about sitting down. It's about going. And so I better go. I told this story last, uh, last week. I'm gonna tell it just a little bit more in depth. Uh, the last major earthquake that hits Haiti, right? It hits on a Saturday night, Sunday morning. There's a, a family that comes down from Thomasville to come to E3. They find out about the, the, the earthquake and before the gathering is over, you know, uh, the, the, the wife, the mom, she's like, I, I got to go. I've got to go to Haiti. Last time I checked, Tallahassee, you can't get a flight to Haiti from Tallahassee. Don't even know how to get there. But people just start, they accept the reality that God gives them. They say, yes, and. Yes, I'll go to Haiti and I better make some phone calls because I don't know how to go. And before the afternoon was over, like they're on their way to uh, getting on like almost like a military commercial transport, accepting the reality that God gave them. Yes, and. Yes, and. And not getting comfortable in these chairs. So the second rule of improvisation is it's not about you. It's about the group. It's not about you. It's about the group. This comes from the movie. It's not about making yourself look good. It's about working together to make something happen that will never happen again. I love that. You step out and do something unusual, but the worst thing that can happen is for you to go, well, let me make this about me. Let me bring my ego into this so that I get a little bit of affirmation, acclamation, whatever. The rule of improv is to say, look, it, it doesn't matter what credit I get or don't get. It just matters that the work gets done. And so you get people just kind of laying aside egos to say, I will say yes, and I'll just go be a part of what God's doing. Uh, anybody ever be a part of like, everybody ever receive a secret gift? Like that really helped. Not like a really awful gift, but like, you know, in my life, like when I was really, we were really struggling for financially and I, I would get, we got a couple times just an envelope with no name, with just a check or some cash that said, we know you're struggling. Have you ever received that? Have you ever been a part of it? Don't raise your hand if I ask you, because that's a trick question. <laughs> if you've ever been a part of doing that, that's the idea. It doesn't matter who gets credit. It just matters that you respond. God says, yes, there's a need here. You go, oh man, I should respond to that need and I don't want it to be about me. Here's an anonymous gift. 
I saw this play out once in my life, and it's not about blowing my own horn or anything, but another example of this. Uh, when I lived in Chicago, you know, I, I worked at a really big church. And when you work at a really big church, you can get a certain amount of just, I don't know, you're, you, you can do things, and, and your name means something. And so people knew who I was. And uh, I, I had this idea in my head, and God just kind of nudged me into this. And so I, I decided to host a night of worship. And I built it. This is like so anti-Eric, but I built it as like a night of worship with Eric Case because there was another agenda in my mind. And so people, they see that and they're like, oh man, that Eric Case guy, he can play the guitar and sing so well, let's go. And so they all came. But what they didn't know is that it wasn't about me. And at one point I stepped off the stage and it was like a little bit of a surprise because I had a buddy of mine come up and it was December and he said, listen, it's not enough to sing songs about God. There are suffering poor people right now out there. And worship is just as much about going to serve the poor as it is about singing songs. And so we just challenged people to go out that night and serve the poor. And that was not at all about my ego. I just stepped off the stage and was like, it's really about what God wants to do with these people. It's not about me. It's about the good of the group. And as soon as you bring your ego into it, you'll jack that up. The last rule of improvisation is don't think twice. Don't think twice. But I, but I added on to this. I said, don't think twice, but, but a lot of us should think once. <laughs> don't think twice, but please think once. Because I've had so many conversations of somebody like, well, I think God's telling me to go do this. And I'm like, did you ask anybody else before you had this thought? Because that makes no sense with what you're, and, and, and I've seen people just crash and burn over something that they thought was from God. And if they just would have asked somebody that cared about them, they would have said, not yet. Or they would have said, this is an awful idea. So think once but this is what the other half of it is. Look, we can think ourselves out of an unusual call. I know a lot of us in here have been on a global outreach trip. Some of us have gone to Guatemala and Haiti and Uganda. How many times were you tempted to think yourself out of that trip? Oh, wait a minute, man, you know, I want to go, but I can't drink the water, and I don't know what the food's going to be like, and I don't know what working's going to be like, and, and it's all this, and it's that, and it's this. Don't think twice. Improv is just about, look, it's happening. You just, you're, you're in it. Get out of your head. There are no mistakes. If you fall, you figure out what to do on the way down. When you step out and you start just following God into these areas of adventure, you get your tail out of these chairs. Don't think twice. If you do, you'll talk yourself right out of it. This doesn't make sense. Think once. Ask your growth group. Ask your friends. I'm thinking about doing this. People are like, man, that sounds like you should do it. But you think about it too much, you'll convince yourself. Because I've convinced myself. Come on. Let's be honest, right? Anybody ever talk yourself out of something that you're pretty sure after the fact that you talked yourself out of obeying God? All right, I'll be the only one. What the heck? <laughs> so uh, I'm going to tell a story of uh, somebody in this community, very, very recent. And uh, they were traveling. Um, they, were on a, they were on an airplane. And they saw this interaction between a parent and a child that was hateful 
almost borderline abusive. And all of a sudden, there was that yes and. Here's the reality. You've got a parent that is just tearing into this child. Now, they were a teenager, so maybe they deserved it, but I don't... The point was, there was a reality, and there was a nudge, and there was an opportunity, and, and the person, part of this community, they were like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, and, and it was unusual, but before they could talk themselves out of it, they just said yes, and they ended up you know, doing what they can, doing what they could, and, and writing a note to the child to say, parents aren't perfect, but there's a heavenly father who loves you. And then they found a way to, to sneak it to the kid because there was fear about what the dad might do if they, saw, if they saw it happen. It's that tiny. But you can think yourself out of doing that. So don't think twice and just respond in the moment to what God is calling you to. Listen, this is the way it works uh, a little bit. And, and I'm, I'm kind of rounding the corner for home. Um, uh, that verse when, God, when Jesus tells his followers, look, you're going to receive power and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There is, there is a, uh, there's a, something going on in that verse that's so interesting to me. In my Bible, uh, the book of Acts is actually called the Acts of the Apostles. And a lot of our Bibles are probably like that. But I had a, a teacher in seminary and he's like, no, no, actually the better title for the book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is always out in front of the church. And those, those, those categories, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, they're like categories that the Holy Spirit just keeps shattering. Bam, go further. Bam, go further. Bam, go further. And the apostles, then this happens, well, man, the Spirit's just calling us beyond and beyond and beyond and beyond. And uh, that verse actually is the way the book of Acts is organized. So it looks this way. Uh, Jerusalem is chapters one through eight in the book of Acts. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Then the text says you're going to be my witnesses in Judea. Well, that's chapters nine and 11. And then uh, Samaria, that's chapters eight, nine, and 10. And then the ends of the earth, which is 11, 12, 13 through 20. If you ever read the book of Acts, it just kind of stops. There's no resolution to the book of Acts. Some scholars think, it's because Luke's trying to tell you the story ain't over yet. We are still going to the ends of the earth, but we're actually still going to all these places. So here's where, gonna, here's where it's going to get a little bit real and a little bit specific, okay? You see, we all have Jerusalems, Judeas, Samarias, and ends of the earth right now. We do. So I'll give you guys a handout. Uh, you should have gotten a handout when you come in. Which kind of explains this, but I'm going to unpack it right now. Um, you see, Jerusalem, that's where your people are. That's where your home is. That's where everybody understands you and you understand them. It's your office, it's your school, it's your family, it's this church. You know what? You're supposed to go. You're supposed to go to Jerusalem and serve and be a witness to the love of God. That's why we call people to serve here. Serve in your office. Now, here's the deal. Going to Jerusalem ain't comfortable all the time. Guess where Jesus was crucified? Uh, Jerusalem. And he just tells his disciples, go to the city that just murdered me. 
So just because they're your people, it doesn't mean that there's no risk involved. We all have a Judea in our lives. Our Judea here might be Tallahassee or North Florida or South Georgia. It might be your neighborhood. It might be your subculture, wherever subculture you identify with. Those are the people that they, they, you enjoy the same activities. You're called to go to them and be a witness to the love of God. It's not always safe to go there either. Now, Samaria is where it gets interesting because you see, uh, the Jews hated the Samaritans, hated them racially, hated them religiously, hated them politically, and we're called to go to Samaria. We're called to go to Samaria, to other ethnic groups, people who do not look like you, cross racial boundaries, cross political boundaries, cross social boundaries, cross religious boundaries. Listen, this is the place where prejudice lives. This is the place where animosity lives. This is where the place where those people live. And church, we're called to go there and show love of God for other people and for God. You don't get a pass on Samaria. And we're also called to go to the whole world still. And the world is full of that's where anxiety lives, because that's the unknown. That's the unknown. That's the big picture that you can't wrap your head around. And we're called to go there, because the story is not over. We are still in the story of witnessing to the ends of the earth. And I wrote this at the bottom of this handout. Just to be clear at E3, you don't go to one of these places and not go to the others. Well, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm, I'm going to take a pass on Samaria. No. God says, go to all of them. And don't just go once. We're called to go to all the places as often as we can. And we want to make it easy for you. We want to not be a church that just sits in the comfy chairs because that's not our story. He has a whole earth agenda and we want to be about following him. So we've created opportunities to serve here. Listen, um, I just want to let you know about something. This fall, uh, we're taking you to Samaria. We're taking you to Samaria. We got a group of people, uh, stakeholders in this church that have said, we want to do something. We want to speak to the division and to the racism and hatred that is uh, just, that is lying dormant in our country and we believe the church should have some role in healing. And so we're crafting some experiences where the people of God are gonna go to Samaria and we're gonna get real. But when the, when, when the world looks at this church, God willing, they're gonna say, man, those people love each other. And they're going to the hard places of, the, of, of life and they're going with love and compassion and understanding. That's part of the DNA of this church. We will be a going people. We will not rest. We will not uh, get more. Look, the, the seats are as comfortable as they're going to get. And we're not upgrading. Because they're not for your, your tailbone. They're just here to kind of give you someplace comfortable so you can go out and love the, love the world that God loves so much. And we want to be about that, okay?
Is that cool? Yeah. All right. Listen, take this. And today or the next couple of days in your growth group, man, name it. Who is my Jerusalem? Who's my Jerusalem? When am I going to go? Where am I going to go? And when will I commit to doing it?